The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Foot First Podiatry. Painful bunions, then it's time to get your bunion fixed with Foot First Podiatry's exclusive Sklar Bunionectomy. No scars, no casts, no crutches, no kidding. For more information about the Sklar Bunionectomy, visit footfirst.com. And by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Sportscaster and Her Son, where sports bridges the gap between the generations. I'm your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster from NBC Chicago. I'm a baby boomer, and I'm Jason's mom. And I am Jason Kinander, contributing writer for Southside Sox. I am headed back to school in about a month, so I will be able to add some more things to my list of what I'm currently doing other than work, of course, throughout the summer. I'm Generation Z, and I'm Peggy's son. All right, so I guess I should be calling you my co-host. I always say that I'm the host, so I guess I should call you the co-host because you did a really good job in the last episode of Flying Solo, My Son. Thank you, Mom. You did I really a, appreciate it. Yeah, you did a good job. And hey, thank you guys, everyone that's downloaded the Sportscaster and Her Son podcast. You are one of over 20,500 listens we have now hit on Apple, Podbean, SoundCloud, YouTube. I don't know. Wherever you, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you get your audio, that's where you can find us. So please continue to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Hit that button. It helps us. And download the episodes. Hey, we have swag coming. You know that, right? Swag is coming soon. Mom, that's a term from like 2013. So so what do I call it? Merch? Merch. Merchandise. Gear. See, again, this is why we are two different generations. but swag. Okay, I'm sorry. We always called it a swag bag. (laughs) Well, we did like at the ESPYs and stuff. When I was in like second grade at my birthday party. Okay, merch. Merch. When, when, what are we doing? What are we going to get? What kind of merch are we getting? Well, as of right now, we're going to lead it off with some t-shirts that I am very excited about. I know you are very excited about. And I have some big plans for the merch in the future. But uh, we are working with Public to open an online store. We're going to get some merch for y'all. Hopefully, y'all will buy it up. Buy the first wave of merch. There will be more merch, more than just t-shirts. I have some great ideas. Beer koozies, visors, uh bumper stickers, laptop stickers, anything you could possibly imagine. But go out, show some love once these are dropped, and looking forward to see how the merch doesn't get some of my own. Oh, dropped. That's also a new term, right? Yeah, (laughs) instead of what you would probably say, released. Yeah. (laughs) Why is that a bad thing? It's not a bad thing. It's just talking in like past tense in the sense that you're talking in how people talked like 10 years ago. And we should give cred... To your twin brother. Eh, still, still. Wait, was not that the right use now. of the term? No? Let me just let me say this for okay. you. Let's give props to my twin brother, <laughs> oh, Shay, props. for designing the shirts. Um, they look great. Obviously, only three eyes have seen them so far mine, my mom's, and my brother's. But um, y'all will see them soon. And I'm excited about it. I, I really am. All right. So we always say that we don't typically get along, but that we do. Um, use our love of sports to really kind of bridge the gap between us and the generations. And in today's episode, you're going to find out if you haven't already, just from the terms I use, the terms Jason used, that we are uh, two generations or maybe three generations apart. I was an older mom, so I should tell people I am an older mom. I had you at the age of 38. 
I had the twins at 38 years old, and I had your sister at 44. So I remember. there's definitely a generation gap between us. And that's what you typically hear on our podcast is we don't always get along, but we do both love sports. And so we do talk a lot of sports. But in today's episode, boy, this is one of the, the definitions of a generation gap between us because it's confessions of a former basketball fan. Wow. I played basketball. Mm-hmm. I was a second team all state in Illinois when I was in high school 40 years ago. <laughs> that sounds like who gives a crap? It sounds like there wasn't a three point line back then. <laughs> Actually, the three point line came in right when I left high school. <laughs> See, I, I just said that as a joke. That it's but true. I didn't know that that was actually true. It I is feel kind of bad about it. It is actually true. Um, they also brought the smaller ball for women's basketball after I left high school. So I played with the same basketball that the guys played with. So you didn't even know that, did you? Okay. No, that I did not know. Yeah. So, okay. I guess that kind of cancels out the no three point line. Not that I could really see you banking in some deep threes, but. Oh, I was a cherry picking guard. That's why I, I could still. Whistle with my fingers. Yeah, you seem like you seem kind of like the Patrick Beverly type to me. Just like throwing <laughs> elbows and not hitting a whole lot of jump shots, but doing like the the little like stupid stuff that the opposing team hates. Like the type of person that you hate to be against but love to be with. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not true. I, I was I was not like that at all. Uh, we'll talk about my basketball game another time because. We need to bring someone in that is going to help us um, bridge this gap when it comes to NBA basketball and why I have lost interest in it. And our team here in Chicago, I just, I hate to say it, but since I retired as a sportscaster, I stopped watching. And there's also not been a lot of reasons to the last five years. But when you said we need to talk NBA basketball, I rolled my eyes at you. Yeah, he did. I just thought, oh, I just can't. I can't. But I have given in to your wishes and um, reached out to Adam Amin, who is the Bulls play-by-play announcer and also Fox Sports. So um, I think you and him will get along great. What do you say we call him? Let's do it. All right. Okay, Jason, let's bring in Adam Amin from Fox Sports and the Chicago Bulls. He's also kind of a neighbor of ours, but he's a little closer to your generation than he is to my generation, and he's the perfect person to talk basketball with. And Adam, thank you for joining us, but this is confessions of a former basketball fan. Like, <laughs> what, what? How? I've lost interest. you got to convince me. you got to help us out. And, oh, by the way, thank you for joining us. <laughs> no problem at all, my friend. I so I'd be curious. What are maybe like what are one or two things in the last what handful of years since maybe you, you haven't covered it as much? Right. What thing that kind of like draws you away? Is it just not the name recognition? Is it not the is it the level of play? Like what what kind of turns you off about? It? I'd be curious. Okay, you know when it started? It started with the Golden State Warriors and the three point when that was offense. When everyone okay. the game changed, and I was actually Adam. I was actually coaching Jason and his brother in what was that basketball league, Jason? That uh, couldn't tell you. What seventh grade? <laughs> I, I, that was seventh grade. I don't even remember okay. after breakfast yesterday. I was coaching the boys basketball here in the western suburbs of Illinois. And 
all anyone wanted to do was shoot the ball as soon as they crossed half court. And it was driving me crazy. Here I'm trying to get them to do ball handling drills and, and uh, underneath the basket, you know, trying to teach them how to drop step and turn and, you know, put it in off the backboard. And all every kid did was stop and pop as soon as they crossed half court. And it drove me crazy. And I knew it was because of the Golden State Warriors. And, and that was number one. That's when I just... It turned me off. And the other thing is, you know, you bring up name recognition. That's a really, really good point. And I'm kind of afraid to admit that because it sounds like I'm I'm too old no. for the game, you know, and that oh. I've just kind of missed out on who these guys are. But that is a big part of it, too, I think. That's fair. And and, and again, too, like I'm separating the, the Peggy I know as, you know, longtime sportscaster and, and like somebody who's been in it. For as long as you have and, and as long as your career is gone, I'm separating that. And I'm thinking about you, the, like, let's call it a casual fan because you don't have to be in it anymore, right? Right. So now you get to be, if you if you choose to be, yep. you get to be a casual fan of the sport. And you've apparently chosen out there and that's totally fine. You're not the first and you won't be the last. But so here's what, what I would contend. So the three-point barrage over the last, really, you nailed it over the last six years since Golden State's run. I think one thing that is that is done is kind of created this blueprint in the NBA. So now teams go, well, we have to have that. We have to have the the three point shot be the biggest weapon in our arsenal. And I think watching the finals now, Phoenix and Milwaukee, two teams that obviously take a lot of three pointers, you can understand other teams that go, well, we have to have that. The thing with Golden State is, and this is the thing that translates to. 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds. I have a 13 year old nephew who loves the game and all he wants to do, or at least wanted to do for the last couple of years, was just take the longest three point shot he could because he loves Steph Curry and he loves Clay Thompson and the same thing that I'm sure you were dealing with when you were coaching. Mm-hmm. I think what, what kids realize early, and I think if they get exposed to the, to the Currys and the Thompsons of, of the world, I think they realize pretty quickly that they're special. Those two, especially are on a plane that I don't think 98% of NBA players will ever reach. It's just they're different. And we saw, I think the way to pitch that is to say, we saw once in a generation, and we're still seeing them now, but we saw once in a generation shooting talent show up and do things that nobody had ever done before. And naturally that's going to trickle down, but most teams in the NBA have realized that they can't do that because they don't have that level of Hall of Fame once in a generation shooting talent. There's only so many of those guys to go around. And the teams that aren't successful eventually realize, well, we need to do something different. And that's how the cycle of professional sports in general, mm-hmm. I think, works. I think, Peggy, you noticed that, too, in whatever sport you've covered, whether it's baseball or football, basketball, whatever it may be, you see cycles of play totally. and styles and, and, and all of that stuff eventually adjusts and, and gravitates back towards the mean, whatever it may be for that particular time. So... I understand like the, the aesthetic of it doesn't always appeal to a casual fan. That is very understandable. And it's the same thing with Major League Baseball. You know, it's, it's all home runs and, and strikeouts. And that's fun for me who's in it to see the nuance of all of that. But for the casual fan, it may not translate. And that's okay. I do think there's something to be appreciated inside of that nuance. And I think we as broadcasters are trying the best we can. And I think the players are pretty entertaining, but I think all of us who do these games, baseball, basketball, whatever it may be, we're trying our best to highlight what is 
special about the nuance. And I think there is, there is a, 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 you know, almost a requirement to be a, an educated fan a little bit more so than maybe in years past to really appreciate what is happening on the floor because it truly is special. Giannis is a is an, an athlete that we haven't seen on the basketball court in a long time. And totally the agree. Do, the things that he can do, just most of us as human beings cannot do. And I think that's where we need to find the beauty of the game, beauty of the athletes. And, and what's special about this sport in particular right now. Now, I will say this. We had a very funny conversation, Jason and I did, a couple of weeks ago about pick and pop and pick and roll because I grew up with the pick and roll, and that's what, yep. you know, we always taught the pick and roll. And uh, the pick and pop came out, and I said, now they're talking about the pick and roll again. And I yep. <laughs> I looked at Jason, and I go, this is what's driving me crazy. Like, why do they have to change the terms for everything when this has been around forever, but it's their way of bringing an old system back, which I'm glad it's back, and I'm glad that they're, they're doing more of a mixture of both. But th- that's an example of the conversation that Jason and I had and I never in my life Adam felt so old than when we were having this conversation I was like what the now it's but now we're back to the pick and roll okay I thought it was the pick and pop and anyways but Jason I know you you're rolling your eyes because I'm talking about this but you I want you and Adam to talk NBA here because you guys are are in the know and I know that there's a lot more people interested than not me I've been pretty like outspoken throughout the playoffs and really the finals and the conference finals about how there seems to be this vibe on Twitter and amongst basketball fans where just because the Lakers aren't in the finals this year, it's yep. apparently not interesting anymore. What do you think is the reasoning behind, I guess, the lack of interest in the finals? Because I'm a big basketball fan, so are most of my friends, and we all love the fact that two teams are in the finals that you probably would never see in the finals any other year. So what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I think I think it's tough because it's brand recognition more than anything else. Like I like our I don't think any NBA fan for the most part is like sad about watching Devin Booker play basketball. You know, like Devin Devin is an incredibly fun player to watch. Giannis, we just talked about how special of a player he is. And then Peggy, to your point, Chris Paul has brought this back. Like Chris Paul is one of those guys who he's a, he's a fulcrum in, and maybe a little bit of an outlier in what we look at now, because he's brought the pick and roll game back. He's run the pick and roll better than any player in the league this year it feels like other than maybe like you know Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley with Rudy Gobert like Chris Paul has run the best pick and roll in basketball this year and that's how they beat Denver in the second round that's how they got to this point they, they took advantage of the mid-range game which everybody leaves open now and that's how Chris Paul has dominated through this through most of the playoffs when he's been in the lineup and I think if you ask most basketball fans they all respond to that they would all respond to saying yeah Chris Paul's 36 years old and he's been in the league a long time and he's the point guard and all this and he hasn't won a title and now he's got a chance. That's a great story. That's an incredible narrative to be able to build up. Same thing with Giannis, who's one of the more likable players in the NBA and obviously one of the more talented ones, a two-time NBA MVP. He's, you know, he could bring Milwaukee a championship for the first time in a half century. That's a big deal. And if fans can't grasp those things, I don't know what else they're looking for other than, well, it's not the guy in the Space Jam movie that's coming out. Like, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not like, that's the only thing I can think of. Like, 
would anybody be upset to watch Damian Lillard? Like, we love watching Damian Lillard. If he was playing in the finals right now, would we lament, oh, Damian Lillard, we have to watch him? Or would we go, oh, the Portland Trailblazers, I can't believe it. Why does that matter? Like, you're watching one of the special talents of American sports do something special right now. So I think, you know, that, that it's frustrating for me. Like I said, I'm in it. I've been in it. I've been co- I've covered the playoffs when I was at ESPN for you know five seasons. I, I now I'm, I'm I don't cover the playoffs now, but like covering the Bulls, we're in the league every day. Like I, I'm in this sport, and it's frustrating for me too, Jason. I imagine maybe for you as well to kind of see that vibe and read that vibe. But I don't think if you actually ask somebody who said that to sit down and consider the reasoning why, I don't know if they'd be able to give you a great answer right off the top of their head. I think it, it, it takes a little bit of glossing over some of these things, which I, I understand, like, ratings are going to be a conversation all the time. But ratings for television in general are down, yep. like they have been for the last 10 years. And guess what won the night? It's the NBA Finals. It's still the most watched thing on network TV when it's been on. So I don't know how much more you can keep pushing these things with you know two fans without just realizing that maybe fans don't don't want to invest in that and that's okay that's ne- that's never been an issue for me if you don't want to invest your time into anything like it's there, there's a lot of choices out there but i think some of the reasoning behind it might be a little bit more cosmetic than it is actual you know actual gripes that people have yeah i'm totally agree with that by the way i don't think that anybody that really says that the matchup in the finals is uninteresting, actually thinks it's uninteresting, especially if you were to watch the games. Even though Milwaukee won in a blowout last night, it was still a very, very exciting game with some huge dunks, huge shots. It's the finals. you got to love the finals. So staying in kind of the same lane. It's a, it's a high level of basketball, too. Like, And that's the thing. Like, That's what we're trying really hard to do as commentators. Like, We're trying to sell the game. And I also have my gripes with the game. Yeah, I wish it wasn't as three-point heavy as it is, but the same thing ends up happening. Like, I just need to find the nuance in what makes the game great. Like, I'm watching, you know, we're calling Cubs-Cardinals the other night, and it's a 6 nothing game, and, you know, there were three home runs hit in one inning for a five-run inning, and that was pretty much the game. And there wasn't a whole lot that went on beyond that. There weren't a lot of big moments on Saturday. That was a fairly boring, what you would consider a boring baseball game. So what do you try to find? What, do you, what are the nuances that we're looking for? Well, let's lock in on the pitchers. And what are they doing that's special? Like, guys throw 100 like it's nothing now. And that's amazing. Uh, the, the movement on breaking balls is nothing like what we saw. It, it, it's beyond anything we saw in the 1990s for the most part. You know, for every, we had one Randy Johnson in the 1990s, mm-hmm. Peggy. And, like, now we have, like, 15 of them. Right. So it's, it's, it, I think that's where we, as you know, broadcasters are trying really hard to kind of sell the nuance a little bit more, which I like. I've always felt that nuance is, you know, nuance is one of my favorite words in the English language. And I love nuance as a broadcaster. I don't want to just bludgeon you over the head with the same stuff. I want to make you a more intelligent fan. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to find the beauty in the second and third layers of the game rather than just what's on the surface. 
It's really interesting, Adam, that you bring that up because the more games I watch, whether it's basketball or baseball, I'm seeing a lot of old footage of uh, older players and the comparisons of today's players with the older players as if they are trying to convince some older fans like, hey, look, these guys are as good as the, the guys you grew up watching. These guys are like that. You know, it's all it, I've never seen it such a generational split as I have in, in recently, and it's almost in all sports. You know, maybe I never paid attention to it until, you know, I turned over 50, and then I started realizing that, you know, I sound like my mom, I sound like my dad, and things <laughs> like that. But I am seeing more of it in the broadcast, where they bring back, you know, some of the old footage of players and showing the comparisons between them. So, you know, you're you're convincing me you're, you've gotten the, the needles pushing over a little bit, Adam. It's push, It's starting to push more to the middle for me. Well, I, I look at baseball, and obviously in, in particular, and you know this, Peggy. Obviously, I'm not saying anything you don't know, but like it's a there's such a historic connectivity to the game. You know, we we look at eras of the game, and we're able to, for the most part, the game's been played the same way. Obviously, there are a lot of rule changes in the last few years, and obviously the style of play has changed in the last 20 seasons. But for the most part, the game's been played at a similar fat in a similar fashion. So we're able to take stats from the 1920s players from the 1930s and 40s and 50s and 60s and be able to say, well, this is how the modern game compares. Now, the parallel isn't as even as it used to be, where it was like, hey, you might hit, you might see somebody hit 45 home runs in 1974, and guys can hit 45 home runs now, and it's, and it's about the same. Like, I, I know we have massive home run totals, especially these last handful of years, but for the most part, other than this barrage of uh, and this influx of incredible power hitting talent, for the most part, guys were hitting 45 or 50 home runs to lead the major leagues or to lead the NL or AL. And that, that was kind of what it was like in the 1970s and 80s, too. Uh, overall, we have more of those types of players. So you can still make the connections and still look at the parallels, but you have to, again, look at some of the nuance of what makes now different from then. But it's an easy way to make fans feel connected and to say, you know, the, the the Russell Westbrook that we see now is like the Magic Johnson of mm-hmm. the 1980s. You know, you can make those comparisons based on style of play and based on numbers, too. Numbers in the NBA haven't changed all that much. I know the three-point line shifted a little bit. The lane has moved a little bit. The timing of games has changed. But for the most part, it's been played in a similar fashion, and you're able to use that connectivity from years past to connect to what we're doing now. Back to our conversation with Adam Amin in just a minute. But first, have you ever dealt with bunions? I have. It got to the point that I couldn't even wear any shoes without having shooting pain. Even at night, I couldn't even pull the covers over my foot. It hurt so bad. It didn't matter if I was wearing slippers or boots, gym shoes working out, or heels for a night out. The pain was intolerable. I finally decided to do something about it. That's when I heard about Foot First Podiatry and their exclusive procedure, the Sklar Bunionectomy. It has you on your feet the day after surgery. Are you kidding? Well, I had to see it to believe it. And you know what? They were right. Surgery was easy. I am so glad I did it. I walked out of surgery in a boot, no cast, no crutches, walking the same day. And you can be back in a gym shoe in two weeks. When I look at my foot now, there's no visual scar. And best of all, I am pain-free. 
So ladies and guys, don't walk around in pain like I did for years. Visit footfirst.com. And now back to our conversation with Adam Amin. I want to shift the conversation to the Bulls here for a minute. And one thing that I... The who? The Bulls, yeah, the Bulls, (laughs) that I have been kind of training my mind on, especially in watching the Phoenix Suns, is the fact that the Suns are built in a way where, obviously, they have Chris Paul, who's a veteran, future first ballot Hall of Famer, all that. And then they have Devin Booker, who is sort was at least seen as a one-dimensional player before the playoffs, but has evidently done a lot more than just shoot the basketball for the Suns. And obviously people have been talking on social media about how maybe the Bulls are built in kind of a similar way. So my question is this. Do you think that the Bulls centered around Levine and Vucevic, who didn't really even get half of a season together this past year, do you think that the Bulls can make a jump, maybe not exactly like the Suns, but a jump into the playoffs and maybe make some noise next year? I think so, and, and this is what I think a lot of teams will look at. They'll look at, and th- this is the, one of the benefits I should also add, Jace, is the benefits of having smaller market, quote-unquote, teams in the finals is this, because now a, a lot more teams feel invested. And I think that's something that probably gets a little bit overlooked because it's not LeBron, it's not the Lakers, it's not the Knicks, it's not you know the Clippers, it's not, it's not the Bulls, it's not a major market team that's playing in the finals now. So naturally... There's going to be, by sheer volume, less people watching. Just by volume, less people are going to be watching. It's not the, the, rating, the ratings are reflective of how the country feels about basketball. It's which cities are in it, and that, that does matter for some people. It doesn't matter to me, but it does matter to some people, most of whom have large amounts of money that they want to distribute for commercialization and things like that. So I get that that's one separate thing. But one thing we overlook is when small market teams are here, that gives a blueprint for the rest of the league. Now Sacramento feels like, oh, well, if Phoenix did it, maybe we can. The Bulls feel like, well, if Milwaukee did it, we can. Why can't that be the case around the league? And I think that's what one of the major boons of having two of these teams in the finals is. Uh, we saw that in Major League Baseball. When the Tampa Bay Rays make a, a deep run, now more teams, the Oakland A's of the world, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers of the world, they feel like, all right, we're, we also can do this without having to spend – $300 million on, on our roster. And I think that's important because that's where the Bulls are at right now. They're part of a group of teams that feel like they're on the precipice. They're on the cusp of doing something that would put them into contendership, that would put them into the conversation about making a deeper playoff run. Obviously, for the Bulls, just making the playoffs right now is the big key. I think there's a lot of parallels here. Billy Donovan and Monty Williams coached together. Uh, Monty was, was part of Billy Donovan's staff for a while. And there's great respect for both of those men. You have superstars on your team. Levine is a bona fide superstar. Nikola Vucevic, I think, is a in, in basketball terms, in basketball context, a superstar. And he certainly has the skill set of one. So you have two players that you can build around. And if you feel like now you have an opportunity to maybe bring in one more piece in the next two years that can really bolster your roster... Obviously, the point guard conversation has been had for the last calendar year. If those pieces kind of get taken care of, now all of a sudden you look at the roster, it's a lot deeper. There's a little bit more distribution amongst offense. You hopefully get a player that's going to help you out on a defensive end. And now you go, yeah, this is the combination because that's what all of these teams have. You need two superstars, maybe three, 
to make deep runs, but look at Milwaukee. They have two stars. They have Giannis and Chris Middleton. Phoenix has two stars, bona fide stars in Paul and Booker. And then everybody else is playing a major role and playing it at a very high capacity. So why can't a, a team like the Bulls do something along those lines? I, I don't. I, I think that's something we can do a better job of as a as a whole, as a monolith of, of media, to be able to point these things out and point these connections out, so that more fans feel a little bit more invested throughout the year, and that only helps when you get to this point of the year in the finals and you're looking at ratings and things like that. Oh, that is so totally true because fans like me were so turned off by the whole super teams. Uh, I, I'm, I cannot tell you the whole, when, when LeBron went to Miami and uh, played with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch, uh, one of uh, a dear friend, uh, Henry Thomas, the late Henry Thomas, uh, who was Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch's agent who passed away a couple of years ago. Um, he and I were friends and it, that period of time when those three, the big three were playing and, and it really left sour grapes in a lot of Bulls fans mouths because sure. we felt used. And I think it, it, it was never, there was never really, um, it wasn't going to happen. There was maybe a hint, but it was really kind of a play. The players were going to dictate where they were going to play. And that really like, it just soured me so much, Adam, on, on the NBA at that point. So what you're saying sounds to me like the super teams are going away. Is that is it true? Does that mean that there's a chance again? And, you know, why should I be excited for the future of basketball in Chicago with the Bulls? Yeah, I think I, I don't know if super teams are necessarily going away, but I think we're changing the definition of what it means to be a super team. I think maybe Brooklyn this year was a team you looked at and said, well, that's kind of what that Golden State mentality is. Now you have, you know, three Hall of Famers. Harden's a Hall of Famer. Durant's going to be there. Tyree will likely be there. Those are three future Hall of Fame players. And then they built significantly around it with a lot of pieces and spent a lot of money. So that looks like what you would consider to be a super team. But there's also proof that it doesn't always work. They were hurt a lot of the year. So, you know, it's, I'm, I'm sure that's, that's somewhat of an anomaly. But like I said, every team does need superstars, and that hasn't changed. The Bulls won all their titles with two of the greatest. They had two top 50 players, probably number one all time, and probably a top 20 guy all time in Scottie Pippen. You can make a case for him, certainly, to be a top 20 type of player. And then they had a Hall of Famer in Dennis Rodman. And they had a lot of role players who did good things before and after Chicago. So that blueprint has never gone away. It's just the definition of it has changed a little bit. And obviously, like we talked about earlier, the skill sets of those players, of those superstars, is a lot more varied than it was in the 1990s. I think what we're looking at now, in particular in Chicago, is the blueprint is there. And I would, I would like to believe, and I don't know enough about this to say for sure, but I would like to believe that there are, the, that there are resources available here because it is a brand-name team that has a lot of value. I'd like to believe that there is some value for free agents, for major players to come to Chicago. And I think the salary cap has done a lot of things to empower players and probably more in the NBA than any other league. I get that, but they're also the product, you know, and, and at the end of the day, would I rather see money go into the hands of owners or into the hands of the players? I'd probably lean towards the players, understanding there's a lot of nuanced conversation that should take place between, you know, in, in that whole field. So I think the definition of super team has changed a little bit, but the blueprint has always been there. And I think the Bulls are in a position 
fair, in fairly short time, within the next couple of years, to be able to continue to follow that that blueprint that has led to a lot of success for a lot of teams, not just in the last 20 years, but probably going back 30 or 40 years. Not specifically to the Bulls, but you spoke earlier about how there's kind of this cycle in pro sports, and I think that we're reaching the end of another cycle in pro sports, which is where there tends to be like a group of superstars who run the league, especially the NBA, considering how star-oriented of a league it is. Now we're seeing guys like LeBron, Chris Paul, even Steph Curry are getting older, still playing at a high level, but getting older. And the clock is almost starting to run on when these guys are going to retire. So my question is, what do you think the guys like Giannis and Luka Doncic and Trey Young have that will allow them to carry on the popularity of the NBA, seeing as that in the next three to five years, the league is going to be in their hands? Well, I think you're in good hands, first off, because look at the three guys that you just named, Giannis, Trey, and Luca. Look at their skill set. And there's a lot of crossover, obviously, between those three. But they are very distinct, unique talents. Giannis is an athletic specimen that we, you know, there's not a lot of people that match up with him in general in this league. So you're already looking at, you know, one of the more scary presences to have to defend the league. Look at Trey Young, whose skill, like ball handling ability and shooting ability and passing ability, all have opened a lot more eyes this year than they had in his first two years, rightfully so. They're in the playoffs. So you got to see him on a national stage manipulate defenses, not only with his vision, but with his range, with his ability to step out, create lanes. That's the same thing Luka Doncic does. He reads defenses two or three steps ahead and gets to places on the floor before a team is ready to make that third or fourth rotation, and he beats them to it. That's what makes him as effective as he has been, especially this last two-year run. So those three players in particular represent a wide range of skill set, of appeal. Uh, there's a, you have a European player in there. You have, you have two European players in there, Giannis being from Greece, Luca from Slovenia. You have an American-born player uh, in a large metropolitan city in Atlanta, like there's a lot to like about the three guys that you just named. And then you can really take that list deeper, Booker and Donovan Mitchell. And there's a, I throw Zach Levine into that mix. The guy who's not even 30 yet. He's just, he's going to turn 27 this year. So he's got a long way to go. Lillard is still ready. You know, Lillard might be the next like superstar of superstars to take that mantle when LeBron and those guys start to start to retire. So I think there's a lot of, like the the site the the cycling of this sport, that how the cycle of it works and and how the skill sets change and how the game changes. I think that's going to change because when Curry leaves, you know, there's still going to be another ten years of guys shooting from thirty five feet. But the ten years after that, they're going to look at guys like Giannis and Luca and think, all right, well, we don't need to be able to step out thirty five feet to be good at basketball or to be impactful players. And that's how the the cycles of sports in general change. So you've got the right idea, Jason. I think it's when these guys retire, the current iteration of superstars are going to be the guys that people follow for the next 10 years. And then after that, the game's going to change again. And and people will look at what Chris Paul is doing now and remember, hey, pick and roll is still the most effective weapon in the NBA, in basketball in general. It's still the best tool you have in terms of getting shots or getting passes or getting lanes. So I think a lot of that there's a lot to like about where the trajectory of the league is going based on the guys that are going to be the faces of the league going forward. 
Okay, so I am going to, you, I told you you're moving the needle on me. This is good. This is good. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. You brought up pick and roll again. So you're speaking my language. Unfortunately, when Jason uses some terms, I have no <laughs> idea what he's talking about. But, you know, I, I laugh about this. But, Adam, as we let you go, give give some advice to my generation of sports fans. Like, I, I'll be honest with you. Like, I left before Sabermetrics took off. Because I was like, this is just too much for me to wrap my brain around. I'm not that intelligent to be able to understand it. Um, the the stats and and the you know launch angles. I understand launch angles obviously, and I do find that interesting. But what I feel like we are missing when everything is so number oriented is what drew me to sports uh, was were the stories and yeah. you know the human interest and the element and you know I, I I know people go oh that's so you know chick of you to say that because you know oh you don't understand stats no I understand stats no, I've done no. enough with stats but sometimes we lose the human element and, and I, all I want to ask you is advice to my generation why should we keep watching you know tell me you're going to bring the human element and mix it with the numbers i think that's what we especially when i was at espn you know that's something that they really preached was the storytelling and i think working at fox now because it's a little bit more of a national scope we do probably lock in a little bit more numerically earlier in games but I've done baseball on radio or TV since I was 22 years old. I always, actually 21, I was 21 when I first started doing baseball. So 13 years I've been calling that, that sport. And I've seen the evolution of what numbers mean to the game. I've also seen what numbers don't matter, essentially, to, to what we're, we do on a night-to-night basis, on a, on a nightly broadcast. And at the end of the day, you still have to understand that tendency and probability does not mean a guarantee. None of those things are mean a guarantee. And that's why I think when we talk about nuance, that's where we need to find the nuance and appreciate that. Not just assume that because a guy has done this six out of eight times that he's going to do it again. Probability is not a guarantee. That's first first and foremost as a broadcaster, you have to have an understanding of numbers. And, you, and as a writer, too, Peggy, you know mm-hmm. this, too. You have to have an understanding of the context of that. That's right. my other favorite word. I, have, I love nuance and I love context. And I appreciate those two things. And I pray at the logic, you know, pray at the altar of logic and reason and context and nuance. And I think we, again, it's our job to, to do better. Like John Shambi is one of my mentors in baseball broadcasting, obviously the voice of the Cubs now. And he taught me when I first started doing major league games that what happens in front of you is still the most important thing. And your ability to document the game matters first. And you, you have to trust your observations. You have to trust the context in which you bring numbers in. It's, not, it's also not, not just being able to say, you know, hey, this, there's this number and this number, and it's strawberry and vanilla, and I like strawberry and you like vanilla, and that's great. Not really. You have to show people that this is strawberry and this is vanilla, and here's why strawberry is so much better than vanilla like you have to you have to be able to contextualize these things mm-hmm. so that's the numeric aspect of it and the story aspect of it i still believe like and, and and working at fox now and seeing what ken rosenthal and tom verducci and tom rinaldi and aaron andrews and the people who've worked on big baseball broadcasts, especially when you get into the postseason when this stuff matters a little bit more they do an exceptional job of still bringing the story into the game 
And that's what, where baseball still thrives. Shohei Otani has all the greatest numbers in the world right now. And you can talk about it and you can con- compare it to Babe Ruth and all the comparisons will hold up. But I still want to know what makes this guy so good. And when you see video of him hitting a ball through the roof of the Tokyo Dome because he is so strong, yeah. that, that to me opens my eyes and opens my ears a little bit. Now I want to know more. Well, one thing we struggle with in Major League Baseball is marketing. Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher on the planet right now. How much do Mets fans really know about Jacob DeGrom? They don't know that much. He's a, he's a little bit more of a shielded and guarded person, and that's fine. He, he's not required to be interesting. That's not his requirement. But I think to draw people in and appreciate not just the, the numbers aspect of what somebody like him is doing, you have to be able to give people a reason for emotional investment. And when you give them that, whether it is where he's from, what he's like, what his demeanor is. You can, you can draw personality traits out and be able to talk about that intelligently in the midst of a three-and-a-half-hour, three-hour, two-and-a-half-hour baseball broadcast. You can talk about those things and still make people feel connected and, and, and emotionally invested. And if you can do that, no matter what the sport, you will always have people intrigued by it. Because at the end of the day, these people do things that we, for the most part, cannot do as human beings physically. So that impresses us. And now if you can give us an emotional branch as well, now I feel fully invested in people. And that, I think that's the formula that I, I've tried to go by since I was 21. And I, I'd like to implement that even further now that we have a larger platform to be able to talk about these guys. Jason, you think Adam's convinced me to watch NBA? Sure hope so. I know. I think, I, I, I think I'm going to. I think I will. You, you did a great job, Adam, really. I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you very much. That's Adam Amin from Fox Sports Network and the Chicago Bulls. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Adam Amin. Adam, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We really do appreciate it. Thanks to both of you. Appreciate it. Man, we could have gone on and on. We could have talked to Adam Amin forever about sports. I really like him. I do too. And I think it's really cool that somebody that young can play such a prominent role in just sports broadcasting between the nationally televised games on Fox and obviously being the play-by-play guy for the Bulls. Two absolute dream roles for anyone from anywhere in sports broadcasting. So to see somebody that young excel like that so early in a career that people always say you have to wait your turn is really hopeful for me. I know. I heard the last I heard the last podcast and your final thoughts about uh, waiting your turn and how you want your generation to be able to to write their own uh, endings or or career paths, which uh, listen, I give you all the props in the world. Um, You have any predictions? Yeah, I have three predictions. All right. Uh, All right. So my first prediction is that the looming NBA offseason is going to be crazy again. It actually seems like every time the offseason rolls around, we're like, eh, it might not be that good. Like, the free agents don't look that great. And the next thing you know, everyone and their moms are getting traded. So I think that this summer we're going to see another huge shift in the NBA. I don't know if the Bulls are going to do anything big. It doesn't really seem like they're um, going to. But I'd expect guys like Ben Simmons to be moved from Philadelphia, Kyrie Irving. Irving, I don't know how he feels about the about being in Brooklyn, but I think we'll get some clarity on his whole situation. And I think the Golden State Warriors will try to move some guys around and um, make the most of the last few years of Steph Curry's prime. So I think my, my prediction number one is that we're going to see a crazy NBA offseason with big-time trades, all-stars moving, divisions looking a lot more different. So that's my first prediction. 
Okay. <laughs> and mom's getting traded. That's interesting. Go on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I hope I'm not um, on the trading block. <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> my second prediction is that with this new NIL name, image, and likeness bill that the NCAA just signed, mm. I think that very soon we are going to see the whole idea behind blue bloods completely go away in college basketball because what we're seeing now is no matter where you are, you can profit on your name, image, and likeness. And now it's not really going to matter as much about the success that these teams have had. I think we might actually start to see more of a super team type of vibe in college basketball where teams with the most recent success, with the biggest buzzing fan bases, with the most exciting college campuses, biggest cities are going to be the ones that excel the most because now the biggest selling point for a recruit is going to be how enticing the NIL deals are going to be, whether it be with local businesses or with corporations in the cities of their schools. So I think that in the next five, 10 years, the Blue Bloods like Duke and North Carolina, and obviously Coach K and Coach Roy Williams retiring will probably play a little bit of a role into this. But I think that the entire idea behind Blue Bloods is going to go away, and I love it. I love that prediction. That's very interesting. Thank you. That was another tongue-in-cheek thank you from Jason. third prediction, and this is a pretty bold prediction, I'm going to say that Aaron Rodgers is going to be the starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers to start the season. Aaron Rodgers did that golf challenge type of thing with Bryson DeChambeau and Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady and all that anybody could possibly talk about the entire time was, where are you going to play next year? Are you going to be starting this game? Everyone talked about it but him. Everyone talked about it but him. But the way that Aaron Rodgers kind of sounded in those answers and the lack of like any news at all, I guess if you're a Packers fan, no news is good news because it means he's not going to get traded or not going to sit out the year. I think I just can't see Aaron Rodgers in any other uniform. And yeah, people said that about Tom Brady for his entire career, and now he's in a Bucks uniform. But someone like Aaron Rodgers, who spent his entire career in a small, small, small market team, having a lot of success up until the second to last game of the season practically every year, um, I just think that Aaron Rodgers is going to stick around. I think that he won't be around for much longer, maybe another year or two in the NFL, but I just can't see him going anywhere. I don't think he will. I'll probably be proved wrong on this. I hope I'm proved wrong on this, but I think that Aaron Rodgers will remain the Packers quarterback. All right. Well, my final thoughts actually are going to reach back to my days when I worked at ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut. And Chris Berman was the big star at ESPN and Chris Berman still used an old typewriter, you know, where he typed with, you know, hunt and peck with one finger on each hand. And we were using teleprompters and a computer. And Chris was very reluctant to learn the computer. And he liked doing things the old fashioned way, writing a script on an old tele, uh, on an old typewriter where you had to put the, the paper in. You don't even know what I'm talking about, Jason, but you had to actually put paper in the typewriter, roll it up by the sides and then start typing your script. Right. So that's how Boomer would do his scripts. And it drove everyone crazy because we were transitioning into the computer age. Right. We were doing scripts on the computer so that it could go right into the teleprompter. But we always had to rip them, you know, for for Boomer. I then decided at that time that I would never be like that and I would really wrap my arms around technology and anything new and learn it so that I wasn't that old-fashioned person, right? You know, I jumped on Twitter right when it started, even though I didn't understand it at the time. So I have to really look in the mirror and realize that I have become that person. 
being reluctant to learn the nuances of the new game of basketball, of the new players in Major League Baseball. Uh, I need to really look in the mirror and realize if I don't jump on the boat and start to look at it like Adam Amin said, it is going to pass me by and I am going to sound like an old fogey and like an old grandparent, which I really don't want to. I really don't want to sound like that, but I think we do that in a lot of things. Before we know it, we do sound like our parents. So my final thoughts are open your mind, look in the mirror, and don't be afraid to listen to what your kids say, even though you disagree with how they're doing something. And maybe it's okay to let them do it their way. That doesn't mean everything, Jason. Got it? Got it. All right. Hey, our thanks to Adam Amin from Fox Sports Network. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Adam Amin. Our thanks always goes to Adam Yaffe. He is the one who really guides the show and makes us sound really good. To Eldo Gandhi and the Bears Barroom Network on Podbean as well. And don't forget, you can follow our podcast where, Jason? You can find our podcast website at thesportscastyourneursun.com and on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest too. Download, subscribe, and rate our podcast on Apple Podbean, Google Podcasts, and wherever you may listen. Thank you to the 25,000... 20,500. 20, See, I tried to be slick there, and I couldn't. We'll but, get there. You know, 20,500 listens. Goodbye. Hey, thanks for uh, talking NBA basketball. Not really. Anytime. <laughs> Bye, everybody. The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, electrically connecting our world. And by Foot First Podiatry. It's time to get your bunion fixed with Foot First Podiatry's exclusive Sklar Bunionectomy. No visual scars, no casts, no crutches, no kidding. 